Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Maria. She's dealing with multiple autoimmune conditions, including Hashimoto's and Raynoids, as well as a lot of inflammation and pain. She was also diagnosed with fibromyalgia and has a history of anxiety. Maria has tried everything. As many of us, she started with conventional doctors, but didn't get very far. Since then, she's seen five different integrative doctors, and she's now on an AIP diet and taking loads of supplements. She's also already cleansed her gut for parasites and yeast, rebalanced her microbiome, and did a heavy metal detox. When I met Maria, I saw that she was very diligent with everything, and she's really accomplished a lot in terms of her biochemical balance. However, even with all that, she was not really feeling a ton better. Her thyroid antibodies, which is how Hashimoto's is measured, were still very high. They were through the roof, really, and her inflammation was high. I knew there was something else that had to be at play here. I talked to her for over two hours about her health history and learned that a lot of her symptoms started when she was younger, soon after her parents got divorced, and that she blamed herself for the split. And then a few years after they got divorced, her mom actually passed away unexpectedly, and Maria really didn't get to say all that she wanted to, and she talked to me at length about how much that bothered her. I knew this had to be connected to her physical struggles, and we had to put together these past experiences along with her biochemistry to get to the bottom of her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about all of Maria's struggles with autoimmunity, energy, and anxiety. Joining me on the show today to discuss this further is Dr. Don Wood. He is the founder of the Inspired Performance Institute, where through his research, he discovered that all of the traumatic subconscious blocks can be eliminated and your mind can actually be rebooted. How cool is that? He works with cutting edge technology called TIPP, and his training programs are changing lives for so many people looking to have their best life by essentially clearing the error messages and help to reset your mind, restore your body to the optimal state of health, performance, and wellness. Dr. Wood, I am so excited to have you on today. Welcome. 
Thank you. You know, I, I appreciate the invitation. Dr. Wood, we all wrestle with unresolved trauma and, you know, different types of disturbing events and experiences from our past. And these can have a profound effect on our health, even if we don't think that the trauma was that traumatic, so to speak. So first, how would you define trauma and are there different types of traumas? I actually break it down this way. We've got the big T trauma that everybody sort of knows about. You know, they could be car accidents, you know, physical or sexual assaults, things like that. And then I just wrote my second book because of so many people would talk about that when you would hear something like uh, Rebecca Gregory's story about the Boston Marathon, people would say, oh, I, I don't have anything like that. I've never really had any, you know, kind of trauma like that. So I call those emotional concussions. They're not big T trauma, but you got bumped along the way. So you got an emotional concussion. I like that. And so those are sort of the way I define it, big T and emotional concussions. And so if you count both of those, in your opinion, how many people, what percentage of the population do you think is dealing with some type of underlying trauma? Pretty much everybody to some degree. And it's having an effect on the way our minds operate. Because if you read all the self-help books, they'll tell you to stay present, be in the moment, that that's the key to success and happiness. But our mind continues to filter through those events and experiences and is creating responses to it, even though there's still nothing happening. That's what we can fix. That's what I discovered we can fix. Um, So it makes a lot of sense that when we have trauma, it's going to affect our minds. But how do you think that affects our physical health? It has a major effect on our physical health because when we have unresolved trauma, trauma is creating inflammation in the body. The inflammation is the response to trauma, whether it's physical or emotional. You know, somebody starts punching me in the arm, I'm going to get inflammation in that area. The purpose of inflammation is to temporarily pause the system so that it can deal with the trauma until it's looking for a resolution to it. So the idea behind it is when the traumatic event is over, the inflammation will then start to go down as the immune system kicks in to take over. So the cells go into a cell danger response. So my daughter, for example, had that we didn't know about when she was 14, she was diagnosed with Crohn's. And when she was 16, she told us about some sexual abuse that had happened to her by another girl in the neighborhood between her ages of six and eight that we didn't know about. And so the inflammation showed up for her in that area. And I believe it was completely connected to her trauma. And that was the response. So the inflammation is a temporary pause until the danger passes. But because of the way our mind continues to loop through the trauma, it continues to see that information in real time, it keeps the inflammation active. And so that's going to affect our health. And then it's going to create a lot of the autoimmune issues that we're seeing. Yeah. And that makes so much sense, especially with autoimmunity, because inflammation is at such a root of that. And a lot of people don't really connect autoimmunity, especially, you know, something like, like when you mentioned with Crohn's disease, you know, people don't think about, okay, well, how does our stomach affect, you know, something that happened that we were really stressed about, you know, but it does. Yeah. The gut brain connection is totally, you know, makes sense so that that's our second brain. So it's also connected to the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is going to respond to uh, threats or peace. 
So you've got the the two pathways of the vagus nerve, your uh, dorsal and ventral pathway. So if the incoming information that your mind is taking in is seen as threatening, it's going to activate the dorsal pathway, which is going to put us into a fight, flight, or freeze response. And if it interprets the information as safe, it'll go through the ventral response and send a message of calm. So what happens to people who have had unresolved trauma, the mind continues because our subconscious mind operates in the present. Everything for our subconscious mind is happening now, the same way an animal mind is always present. They're they're survival-based. Our subconscious is survival-based. So when it accesses memory that has happened five years ago or 10 years ago, it's actually seeing it in real time activating the response, which then creates the inflammation, which then keeps looping. So for my daughter, that her mind was continually in a fight or flight stage because the trauma had not been resolved. It was as if she was still stuck as a six, seven, eight-year-old child. Right, right. It's interesting because a lot of people who have, you know, had experienced major trauma can often say that when they think about it, they feel like they're there again, you know, and they will start to have, you know, maybe an increased heartbeat and heart palpitations and anxiety. And with what you're saying that, you know, your subconscious mind sees it if it's happening now, that makes sense because they're like putting themselves back in that state. Yeah, and it's all coming from memory. This is where the glitch and the error message is coming in. When we have, and, and I, I usually go with this kind of an approach. If I asked you what you ate for dinner last night, can you tell me what you ate for dinner? Uh, I had steak with asparagus and lentils. Perfect. So when I asked you that, you went into memory and you saw pictures, right, of what you ate or maybe where you were? I did. I, I actually like looked, I almost like pulled up a picture of my plate because I'm like, wait, what did I eat yesterday? And then like I saw the plate, the lentils, and I actually also saw myself sitting exactly where I was sitting at the table eating it. Exactly. So that's how you stored the information about what you ate for dinner last night. No animal can do that. It's only humans that store details about events and experiences. But because last night's dinner wasn't threatening, it was stored as a fairly low-resolution file. Had that been a threatening event, all your senses are heightened, sight, smell, hearing. So how is it going to record that? in high definition, very bright and intense. Mm. So when the mind then recalls that information and it sees the intensity and brightness to it, it thinks it's happening now. And so anytime you have an emotion, a feeling, a sensation, or a thought, your mind is calling for an action. So the reason people feel that heart palpitation, they start to have trouble breathing, is because the mind thinks that there's an action required. And it's creating that to get you to do something. The problem is it's asking you to do something about something that's not happening. It's an error message. Mm. Wow. So that's so interesting. And, and that's what we can fix. So that what we do through our program is we get the mind to reset that high-definition memory into the same format as what you ate for dinner last night. And then it stops calling for the action because it doesn't see the threat. Doesn't that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah, no, I'd love to get into all of that. And before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you, 
What if people don't remember the trauma, like you mentioned with your daughter, you know, maybe she didn't tell you, or maybe she didn't remember, or she blocked it out in some way. So if someone has experienced a trauma, but they don't know that they have, how would they know that it's affecting them negatively? Well, again, if they have any kind of health issues, you know, autoimmune issues, chances are they've got something unresolved. So the mind is still in an active response state, and that's where the autoimmune issue is coming in. And so the the best way to sort of test it is I'll say to somebody, can you tell me about an event or an experience? Because some people will say to me, well, this happened to me, but when I think about it, you know, I don't think it bothers me. Oh, I hear that all the time. Yeah. So what I'll say is, okay, I want you to think about it for a second. And do you feel any kind of an emotion? And the person generally will say, well, yeah, you know, I feel a little bit, you know, a little bit of anger or fear. Then what I say, well, then it's active. The mind is using the emotion to call for an action. There's no other reason for you to feel fear unless there's a threat. So the mind is misinterpreting the information as a threat, but it's not a threat. It's just information. But your mind doesn't know that because it sees the high definition to it. Tremendous amounts of details and information coming in. So it's an autonomic nervous system response. You can't stop it because the mind, if it thinks there's a threat, the reason and logic that we use through our conscious mind is overridden. Mm -hmm. You can't stop that response because it's an automatic response. The only way to stop it is to get that information reset so it stops calling for the action. Right. And that makes sense what you're saying about it being on the subconscious level, you know, which is why, you know, there's people who go to talk therapy for years and years and years and years, and yet they're still dealing with what they're dealing with because they're not really getting to that reset. They're just kind of talking about it and then experiencing over and over again. Right. Right. And that doesn't fix it. So the current system teaches people to live and manage and cope with it. So if you've got anxiety, you've got, you know, depression, we're going to teach you to live and manage with it, or we're going to medicate you. And so here's the the best way that I sort of explain it is that um, there's something called the time slice theory. And I talk about this when I do the sessions with people. The time slice theory was developed by two scientists at the University of Zurich that said, is consciousness streaming? Now, most people would say, yeah, it feels like it's streaming, like it's a continuous flow of information. As you and I are talking here, it feels like it's continuous. However, it's not. Your subconscious mind is taking in the information in real time and then processing this information and sending pieces or time slices to your conscious mind. And so because your conscious mind could not handle that amount of detail, it's too much, it would overload it. So your subconscious mind takes in all the data and then processes it and sends time slices like clips from a movie reel. But there's a 400 millionth of a second gap in between your subconscious and your conscious mind seeing the same information. And this is where what I say happens. In that 400 millionth of a second, your subconscious mind does a Google search on this incoming information. Have we seen it, heard it, or smelt this before? And what does it do? It goes into memory and starts pulling up a whole bunch of data and images about an event that happened 10 years ago. And before you could even consciously know about it, you've already started your response. 
Mm, wow. And in that fraction of a millisecond, that's amazing. And so and it's an autonomic response and it's going to happen every time. So the only way, so to keep talking about it is just, you know, what they're really trying to do is build some new neural pathways or coping mechanisms to deal with it. But that's not fixing it. The key to fix it is to get that high definition put back into a low resolution file. And it's actually a brainwave state. And that's how we do it. So you've recorded it in a beta brainwave state, which is very high, intense, right? Tremendous amounts of information, higher frequency. Yeah. What we do is get you into an alpha brainwave state to reprocess it. Mm -hmm. And once that information goes back into an alpha brainwave frequency, it doesn't respond to it. It doesn't feel the threat. Wow. That sounds really, really amazing. So how do you go about doing that? How, you know, if someone's working with you, where do you start and how does it work? Well, the first thing we do, we do a, about a four-hour session. We have we have it online. I do it in groups or do it one-on-one. Um, if you're one-on-one, what we would do is sit down and we take four hours. And about the first hour to hour and a half, I'm just giving you the science, just the kinds of things that I've just been talking about. Why? Because we start from the premise that there's nothing wrong with anybody. There's nothing wrong with anybody's mind. Everybody's mind is being affected by these events and experiences in their lifetime that their mind's continually doing Google searches on. If your experiences are different than mine, then you're obviously going to be responding differently. And so it shows up as symptoms, and we keep treating the symptoms, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, not getting to why is it happening. And so the first hour and a half, like I said, is basically getting that information so that you understand where the problem's coming from, because I believe that that's part of the solution. And then we start working about getting you into an alpha brainwave state, and we spend very, very little time on the trauma. I basically look for two or three events. And we'll get the mind to reset that. And then the mind is brilliant. The brain can actually reprocess all that data. And if someone is not exactly aware of what their trauma is, when they're speaking with you, you're able to kind of pull out certain things based on the conversation to see what it is or if there's something there? Yeah. So we'll look at, so generally they're going to have something in their life. So even if they're not aware of maybe something that has been uh, repressed or hidden, Right, there's going to be something else that we could start with. And once we start the process, it's almost like putting a new app in and a new operating system. It just starts to clear everything. So as an example, I had a lady who had really bad sexual abuse as a child. And we worked on three different events. And literally, they don't even have to talk about it. I can do it visually. I can do it spoken. I, I don't have to necessarily have them give me all the details. It's not important for me to know the details. We did three, and then she says, well, we're going to be here all night because I've got a lot of these. I said, well, we don't need to do any more. <laughs> and she says, well, don't we have to go through each event and do that? And I said, no, your mind now will have this process down. And then when you go to sleep tonight, your mind processes what it learned during the day, and it'll start the process. And so I ran into her about a month later at a store just by chance, and she came over to me, and she said, she says, I got to tell you something. She says, I was feeling great. There was no question that those three events were different. She says, but I'll be honest, I didn't believe you that my mind would clear everything else up. And she says, but I was at Universal Studios on the weekend, and I was riding on the escalator with my daughter, and I was looking over the railing. And my daughter said, Mom, look at what you're doing. 
And she says, I never told you I had a fear of heights. And it's gone. Huh. And she's, so she wasn't even aware of what event created it. But whatever event created it also got processed in that trauma. Our brains are designed to heal. Our bodies and minds are designed to heal. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're saying that. And I talk a lot about this because, you know, often people have this notion that, you know, there's all these things wrong with them and they have to fix everything and they have to constantly be working and working harder and harder and harder to just fix this and that. And then new things come up and they have to fix that, you know, but I think it's that premise that once you delete some of those error messages, like you're saying, then the body can heal and the brain can heal. I think that's just really beautiful. Because when our our mind is feeling threatened. So if you're in a fight or flight response, you're being chased by a lion running on jagged rocks. You're not going to feel the pain because your mind's not going to deliver that message that we need to protect our feet, right? Because it wants to escape from the lion. So we don't do maintenance when we're in this constant fight or flight response. So we're not getting healthy because our mind is doing minimal maintenance, it's not until we resolve the trauma that the mind then feels the ability to start doing more maintenance. So then once people go through the four-hour process and you know they get into the alpha brain state and then the error messages are deleted and things are sort of overridden, then does that mean that that loop is gone and it's never going to affect them? Or is there any type of maintenance that they have to do? Or also, what if there's new trauma that comes in? Would the body process it in a different way? Uh, great questions. So sort of separate questions. So first of all, once we clear that trauma, our experience is being that it's done. Because what we're doing is the opposite of what they do with the Wizard of Oz, where they took it from black and white and turned it into color. We're doing the opposite. We're going from color to black and white. So once that memory is reset, it's reset. You'd have to experience it again in real time in order for it to, you know, create another high definition memory. So once we do this process, I had a lady who had come in and she had had um, quite a bit of trauma. We cleared all that. She was doing phenomenal, doing really well. Um, what she, what we also do is we're working first on that explicit memory, the details and information about the event. And then they listen to 28 days of audios to work on procedural memory, which are the habits or behaviors or beliefs that get formed from constantly using those resources, right? Because if you repeat something over and over, your mind is going to build a process to deal with it. So it becomes automatic. So you don't have to think about it anymore. So the audios are designed to start working on that, but it's a lot easier once we've gotten that explicit memory reprocessed. And so once that's done, if a new trauma comes in, which I said this one lady who had come in, she had a lot of trauma earlier in her life. We got all that reset. And then she um, bought a brand new uh, golden labradoodle. And three days later, it was killed by a pit bull right in front of her. So the advantage that she has now is she has that base already built. So the immediate response, her boyfriend called me the, the day that it happened, I mean, within like an hour of it happening and said, you need to talk to her right now and help her. And I said, it's too early. The mind's got to process this information. So let's give it a little bit of time to set so that we can then start working on it because it's too much grief early to start resetting that trauma. So she came in afterwards and it literally took 30 minutes 
to get it back and reset because she already understood the premise and the concept and there wasn't anything else sort of overlaying or layers of it. It was now just this one big event. Got it. Now, what about working with the body itself? Um, You know, there's some people that say that, you know, if you have experienced something, you know, a lot of times it stays in your mind because you haven't actually felt it, um, which I think it might be similar to processing it, but maybe in a little bit of a different way. What is your opinion on that? Um, and, you know, having people actually, whatever the emotion is, you know, feeling it through their body and, you know, allowing it to do what it needs to do physically. My belief is that I think of it this way. Think of the brain or the mind as the computer, the body is the printer. So, if the brain or the mind is dealing with a whole bunch of error messages, it's going to affect the printer and the way the printer prints. Even if the printer has all the ink, all the toner, so and the body has all the nutrients and supplements. So people say, I eat really well, I take care of my body, I exercise, right? but I'm still dealing with this or that. It's because the computer's off. Mm-hmm. So I believe that everything is a response to the brain and mind. It's just reacting to it. If you get the mind and the brain healed, then you just have to make sure that you're treating the body right, giving it its nutrients and supplements or ink, right, and paper, as long as you're doing that. But if you do all the ink and paper, but the mind is off, the computer's off, it doesn't matter. It's not going to absorb those nutrients and and, uh, supplements as well because it's not doing the amount of maintenance it should be doing. Mm, I see. Yeah. So if people are trying to process and feel the emotions, you know, it could be helpful, but then they just keep continuing to process them and have them and you, because you're not getting to the root of the mind. That makes sense. Exactly. And then I also, you know, we deal with this in addiction. So I have a really different approach on addiction. I believe that addiction is really caused by the mind. And what you've done is if you've had trauma, an event in your life that is disturbing or traumatic, it creates emotional pain. Then the emotional pain, you look for a resource to stop the pain. So if you start taking drugs and alcohol, you temporarily block that Google search. That's not the solution, but you can see why people would do it. Mm-hmm. And so people will say, yeah, but if you stop taking the drugs or alcohol, you'll go into withdrawal. And I I believe that withdrawal is the mind creating physical pain to basically bully you to go get it. Mm. It's going to hurt you because you've trained it by the repetition of – so you know, somebody's taking heroin and they continue to take heroin. What are they teaching the brain? That this is important for our survival. So if you're consciously going out to do something, the subconscious mind will pick it up so it'll program it for you. So you don't have to think about it anymore. That's what I believe addiction is. It's a code that the mind built for you to protect you. And it thinks that the heroin has something to do with your survival. And then when you try to stop it, the mind's going to say, no, 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 we're not letting you stop this. We'll die. Right, right. So it creates physical pain because I've talked to addicts who will tell me that they'll get off the phone with their dealer and they feel better. Huh. They haven't touched the drug yet, but they automatically feel better because the mind is satisfied that it's going to get what it needs. Mm, that's interesting. That's similar. Well, maybe not exactly similar, but you know, there's some cases where people sometimes have anxiety and just knowing that they have Xanax or Valium, even if they don't take it, 
makes them feel better because it's in their bag or in their cabinet. So maybe kind of a similar situation with that. Exactly. So we, we have a guy who had 30 years of panic attacks and he just carried around a box of Xanax with him. And it did help him at some points, but he also had major panic attacks. So even, you know, knowing he had the Xanax, um, once we took him through our program and resolved what was creating the panic attacks, he hasn't had a panic attack. Wow. That's amazing. Because the panic attack is a response. The mind is feeling threatened. And I think panic attacks are a little bit unique because it's a combination of physical and emotional. So the mind is feeling a threat, but it can't find the threat. So it starts to create a physiological change in the body. It starts to speed up the heart rate, which is then going to change the oxygen CO2 levels, which is then going to change the pH of the blood. And so the mind is looking for the danger, can't find the danger, but it's starting to prep for it. And then the body starts sending signals to the brain that we're running low on oxygen, right? There's more CO2, the pH of the blood's changing, and the mind interprets those as more threats. So then it says, well, this danger must be really bad. We just can't find it yet. And if that loop continues, then eventually the mind goes into a panic because it can't find the lion, right? But it knows there's a lion somewhere. Right. And so then it just overwhelms the system with too much information. And then it goes into a panic attack. Mm, I love that explanation. I've never really heard it explained that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's all it is. So the key is, is to shut down the mind doing that. And then it's going to stop the physiological response. And then the panic attack stops. So that's the key to, in, in what we've done, in showing how you can stop a panic attack, is to recognize what, because in the beginning, all of that stuff is going on below your conscious awareness. You're not aware that your mind is starting to build this response to it. You know, when you have that feeling something's wrong, but you don't know what it is, right? You just have this sense, yep. right? That's the mind looking for danger because it's programming bias towards survival. But if it can't find the danger and the danger is coming from the memory, the loop of the memory, well, it's not real, but the mind thinks it's real. And because it can't find it, see it, smell it, touch it, it continues to build the physiological response until then it becomes hit the panic alarm because it, it hasn't found the problem. And we can shut it down early because all we have to do is detect it. And then once people work with you and they go through the initial four-hour program, I'm assuming they learn all of these tools so that then if it does happen again, they could utilize some of those tools that they already have, right? Exactly. And then it shuts it off because as soon as you become aware um, I wrote a patent for a band that would be able to detect a panic attack as well. So that once it starts to notice that there's an increase, because you may not be consciously aware of it, but there's something going on. So then the, the band would pick up that your heart rate is increased, right? Your body temperature is increased. That means your mind is working on something. Mm -hmm. And then I give them the tools to be able to then almost give the mind an all clear signal that everything is fine. And then it shuts down the search, the Google search. Right. It seems and it that, does it instantly. Right. It's that Google search. That's what messes everything up, huh? It's exactly it. That's what we discovered. It's the Google search that's creating the mind to respond. And that's why I said is when you have an emotion, like for example, I worked with Rebecca Gregory, who she was three feet from the first bomb that went off at the Boston Marathon. She lost her left leg from it. 
And so what when she first sat down and started talking to me, she was shaking and crying. And I said, Rebecca, do you know why you're shaking and crying right now? And she says, well, because I'm telling you what happened to me. And I said, right, but your mind thinks there's a bomb about to go off. As you describe it, your mind's experiencing it. So it's trying to protect you. The purpose of that emotion is a call for action. It wants you to run five years ago. (laughs) Mm. But you can't run five years ago. But your mind doesn't know that because it's seeing it in real time. It's the same way when we, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've gone to a movie and cried. Yeah. Right? We go to movies and cry because our mind thinks it's real. Yeah. And it can't distinguish between the movie and, and an event. Right. Well, you know what's interesting? Speaking of movies, I have found, and I mean, I've always known this, but I think I finally realized that this is an issue for me. I can't watch anything that's either very scary or very dramatic or just very suspenseful because I literally feel like I'm there. Like, and even things like, you know, 24 or Homeland, you know, I mean, they're not scary, but it's very suspenseful and the things are always happening. And I literally like find myself like sweating and my heart is beating really fast. And you know, I was telling my husband, like, I just can't do that anymore because it's not good for my adrenals. And so I don't watch that anymore. But I'm wondering, is there a fix for that to like kind of tell your, because sometimes what I try to do is I try to imagine, like, as I'm watching that, like, you know, it's a movie. And I try to almost imagine that there's like a camera crew outside and like, you know, kind of telling myself, like, it's not real. It's not real. But yet somehow, like, I'm in it. And I feel like it's all happening to me. You you nailed it. That's exactly what it is. There's The conscious mind can imagine and create, right? But it's only operating about 5% of the brain. 95% of everything that's happening for you is happening on a subconscious level. So when we have a a threat, what happens is, is say somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? And so you get instantly angry and you start going, oh, I'm going to I want to chase that person down, give them a piece of my mind. The frontal lobe, right, that's called the ventral lateral prefrontal cortex, has a basically a safety valve to be able to use some reason and logic and calm that down, right? It's sort of like the gatekeeper. So it can then start to say, well, that doesn't make sense. The guy could have a gun. This doesn't, you know, let's just calm down. That part of the brain is designed to protect us. And that's our conscious mind. Here's where the problem comes in is if it was just the person cutting you off in traffic was the issue, your mind could probably stop that impulse control. What the problem comes in is that when it does its Google search, that event of being cut off looks like you were disrespected. And then all the events about being disrespected come flooding in. And it's like this, like everybody rushes the gate, right? And, it, and the, that part of the brain that uses that impulse control can't deal with that much information. So it overwhelms it. It's just like you rush the, the bouncer at the, at the nightclub. It's too much overload and the mind can't handle it. So the key is to get that information reset so that you're only dealing with the guy cutting you off in traffic. Right. One thing at a time, not everything else, not opening Pandora's box. And you couldn't stop it because of the way you've experienced life. And so I always say to everybody, there's nothing wrong with your mind. Your mind works perfectly fine. It's just being overloaded with information. 
Oh, that makes so much sense. I love everything that you're saying. Um, Dr. Woods, so for those people that want to learn more about what you do and, you know, maybe experience some of these amazing benefits from your program, how can they find you? How can they contact you? If you go to our website, which is the inspiredperformanceinstitute.com, um, we're on Facebook as well and Instagram, all those things. But if you go to our site, you can see a lot of the testimonials of people who will talk about you know, you'll see Rebecca's testimonial up there. You'll see athletes. I work with professional athletes who the same thing, you know, for example, I worked with a professional baseball player who had a particular situation where he had runners at first and third, right? In a key game in a, uh, in a playoff game and he popped up. So every time he got up into that situation in first and third, his mind would be stuck on that. I worked with another uh, gentleman, Rob Killian, Rob Killian is a uh, marathon runner. Uh, he ran in the Spartan World Championships. But uh, three years earlier, he was accused of cheating by a guy who said he picked up a sandbag that had a hole in it. He didn't know. He ran with this bag, but it had a hole and the sand was coming out. By the time he realized it, it was too late. He couldn't go back and get another one. He just finished the race. But somebody accused him of cheating. Now, he's a Green Beret Special Forces guy. That was an insult to his integrity. Once we cleared that up, I went out and I worked with him in September of last year in Lake Tahoe at the World Championships. I worked with him on Friday and Sunday he won the World Championship. And he beat, he beat the guy that was considered unbeatable by a minute. And it was because we kept him present and in the moment. So you can check out all those kinds of testimonials, you know, whether it's you're dealing with panic attacks, anxiety, depression, all those kinds of things you know, give you something you can relate to and see if that makes sense that we could help. Yeah. You. And you said that you work with people one-on-one and in groups as well. Yeah, we do groups and then we also do online. So we get, um, you can do the online program individually or um, we have online groups. <laughs> so we have, mm-hmm. and the reason being is because it's not scalable if I'm the only one that can do it. So, of course. And so we had to come up with new ways. And the online program works really well. The groups work really well. Yeah. And I could see that with groups. I know sometimes people think, oh, but I want to do one on one. But sometimes there's a lot of power in groups. And then you learn from other people and their experiences. And, you know, that could probably be very healing in a way. There's an energy about a group. And again, especially if you, you know, have something in common with the group, but doesn't necessarily mean you have to. We work with groups of veterans who will go through it together. Um, You know, so the great part about this is even when they're in a group, nobody has to share their trauma. We don't need you to. So, for example, if you have a trauma, I'll take you through in a group situation and everybody can do it at the same time. I'll take you through the technique where you just visually see it. And I give you the tools to get some mind to reset it. And at no point have you ever told anybody about what the trauma is. That's what's so great about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you could see that obviously that takes a lot of the fear out. It takes a lot of the potential anxiety out of, you know, having to talk about it, especially in front of someone else. That's really great. Yeah. My wife had trauma when she was a child. Um, you know, quite a bit of trauma living with a very disturbed father. And even with her, it was hard for her to talk about some of her trauma with me. So the great part about it is she didn't even have to share it with me. It wasn't important for me to know. It was only important for her mind to reset it. Right. That's amazing. Dr. Wood, this has been so enlightening. I 
loved learning about everything that you do and, you know, how much our mind really, you know, has to do with everything that we've, you know, experienced, but also the effect of all of this on our physical health. And I think this is something that's going to be so helpful for so many people. And I just so appreciate you sharing all of this information and being here today. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing to help people. So we're, we're always interested in helping the healers. As you just heard, autoimmunity and inflammation, as well as many, many other health ailments are multifaceted. And while the biochemistry is so important, to truly get to the bottom, it is imperative that we look at the underlying traumas and past experiences that could be playing on a loop in our brain. I'll tell you more about what I did for Maria in just a second, but first I wanted to make sure that you know that Dr. Wood is offering 10% off his online program to all of you, and you can also feel free to pass this to any family or friends that you think can benefit. The link to that discount is in the show notes, and to access those, just go to healthmysteriesolve.com and go to episode number 62, or you can use the search button on the site. There, as always, you will find a very comprehensive summary of the episode, which you can quickly reference or share, as well as all of Dr. Wood's contact information. And by the way, if this episode resonated with you and you're enjoying the show, I would so appreciate it if you could post a review on iTunes. I know it takes an extra minute, but it is so helpful so that the show ranks higher and is shown to more of those who need to hear this information. I talk to so many people who found the show through a referral and they tell me, wow, I didn't even know that this existed. And so many health shows focus on things that are going to scare you about what you may have rather than inspiring. So all of those reviews really help and thank you. And for Maria, I ran a comprehensive blood test and an organic acid test. Since she already worked on many areas of her physiology, she didn't have as much off as some other clients that I see, but I did find she had an issue with oxalates and sulfites, so we removed those and supported some of the nutrients she was missing, like vitamin C and zinc. I saw that she was taking quite a few supplements and didn't need all of them, so we pared things down to just what she needed based on her tests. And then I also noticed that she was taking herbs that had immune-stimulating properties, specifically echinacea, which is typically contraindicated in autoimmunity because it can overstimulate the immune system and create even more of an immune attack. I actually talk a lot about this on the Ask Ina show, which was episode 57, so if you missed that episode and have an autoimmune disease or know someone who does, please check that out so you can see all of the other herbs that are included on that list. And Maria and I worked on all of these changes. However, a lot of the big work came with working on the underlying trauma. With all that Maria has already done, this is an area she really never looked into or honestly even realized that it could be an issue. I started educating her on the connection and introduced her to some of the healers and coaches that I've met over the years, including Dr. Wood. We worked on connecting her mind and body with many of the mind-body code techniques that I use, and she noticed her pain decreased in just a few weeks. She was completely in awe at how much this brought up and also how much lighter she felt after. While I do a lot of this work, the biochemistry really is where my specialty lies. Plus, I knew we needed to go even deeper on the past experiences and the trauma. So Maria is currently signed up for Dr. Wood's program so she can go even further. We're both so excited about the results so far and for more to come. If Maria sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them. And make sure you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And when it comes to your health issues... 
please remember the answers can come from many, many angles and can be multifaceted. Even if it feels like you've tried everything like Maria felt, there are always other things that you may not know exist or may not be aware of. This is really my goal, my why, so to speak, for doing the show. I'm here to educate and inspire you and to show you the many, many angles from which you can investigate your issue because the answers really are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Health Mystery Solved, and I will see you next week. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.